here to this place from class or from being in Lao or from being in Leo. We thank you for bringing us through this day and for being able to come together to worship you, to praise your name, to grow deeper in our relationship with you. And now, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would remove Brandon. May your spirit come forward. May you speak a word for us, your people, and that having heard your word, O oh God, that we would apply it to our lives so that it would not only make a difference in our lives, but it would make a difference in the lives of those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 30, 29. And it reads, When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the other people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of his speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And the spirit saw Jesus and immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind come out, can come out only by prayer. So faith and doubt. If we're honest uh, tonight, there's a secret that all of us have. Your roommate probably doesn't know about the secret. Uh, your parents probably don't know about the secret. The people in your small group don't know about this, but it's a small secret that you like to keep locked up inside of you, and it's no matter how much of a good Christian you might seem on the, the outside, there's something down deep in a corner that lurks. That makes you question if this Christianity thing is really worth it. Makes you wonder sometimes if God is real. Or does Jesus really even make a difference in my life? I mean, does it really matter if I, I pray does it really matter if uh, I go to my small group? Does it really matter if I read the Bible? What difference does any of this make in my life? Doubt is like a small little cloud. Sometimes it's pretty large. Sometimes it's small. Sometimes it's a nagging thought that you try to get rid of. And sometimes 
you try to act like it's not there at all. But if we're honest with ourselves tonight, all of us at some point have wrestled with doubt. We've wondered if God really loves us, or if God really cares about us, or if God even acknowledges what's going on in our lives. Surely the little voice of doubt says God is too big or too important to be concerned about my problems, like the fact that I'm stressed out about class. I mean, there's people who are starving around the world, right? Doubt is like that thing that causes us to question, uh, does God really care how many times do I return uh, to that liquor bottle? I mean, surely God is not concerned about this. Doubt is that nagging question that impacts all of our lives. I was always told, though, in church growing up, that uh, doubt was a bad thing. But I want to make a counter-argument that maybe, just maybe, doubt is an essential tool for helping us to grow as Christians. That maybe doubt could be a gift that helps us grow into an honest faith and an honest relationship with Christ. When we look at this evening's scripture, there's a story of a little boy who doctors now say when reading this text had epilepsy. But at the time, they didn't have the understanding of medicine that we have now for all you pre-med majors. Instead, they thought that any disease, and the majority of diseases, were caused by demons. They thought that what the boy had was trying to destroy him, and the boy would have a seizure, and he would fall into fire, he would fall into water, whatever it was, it was trying to destroy the essence of who this boy was. And the boy's father, if you can imagine, had probably tried everything he could to protect his son. He probably tried the doctors, he probably gone to the religious authorities, he probably uh, consulted his neighbors, he had done everything he can, and desperately, he goes to Jesus' disciples, saying, I've heard about this Jesus guy, y'all follow him, surely you should be able to cast out the demon that is affecting my son. The father is just looking for a solution. And instead of finding help, the disciples are unable to even cast out the demon. Surely you would think that if they had spent all this time with Jesus, and Jesus had told them that you would have power, that they would have been able to cast out the demon. And so Jesus comes back, and he's trying to figure out what's going on. There's, there's a scene on Healy Lawn, because there is a desperate professor who is wondering why they can't cast this demon out of their student. There's a desperate roommate who's wondering why their best friend continues to, to deal with depression despite all the therapists, despite all the doctors, despite consulting their pastor and their professors, they're wondering why can't this go? What is wrong? And Jesus appears on the scene. He's going, what's all this commotion? What's the problem here? And the crowd goes, well, uh, your disciples can't cast this demon out of the boy. 
Jesus responds, you unbelieving generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here. And the father explains what happens to him. And he says, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus responds, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. And the, the boy's father responds, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That's the, the center of what I want us to think about tonight. The boy's father, tired and desperate of looking for help everywhere else, says, deep down inside, I believe. Surely I have to believe, otherwise I wouldn't have gone to the doctors, I wouldn't have gone to religious authorities, I wouldn't have gone to your disciples asking for help if I didn't believe something would happen. But deep down, with my belief, there's some unbelief that something is not going to change in my son's condition. And if we're honest with ourselves, within all of us, yes, we have faith that God is real. Yes, we have faith that God loves us. Yes, sure, we have faith uh, that religion makes a difference in our lives on the surface. But deep down, when life actually happens, when it seems like you don't know where you're going to, to pay your tuition from, when you're wondering if you're ever going to actually get an internship, when you're constantly nagging and comparing yourself to everyone else, wondering why am I not smart enough as them, why am I not pretty enough as them, why am I not successful enough as them, when doubt keeps nagging at you, we're like the Father. We believe, but we have unbelief. But unbelief is not necessarily the danger. You notice that there are two examples of unbelief here. The disciples and the boy's father. The disciples can't cast out the demon because they have all the religious pretense and they act like they know what they're doing. But Jesus says you couldn't cast out the demon because you didn't fast and you didn't pray. You weren't honest with where you were. You acted like you had all the religion and you knew what to do. You knew the right Bible verses. You knew what to say. You knew the right songs. You know when to lift your hands. You know how to sing your good, good father. That's who you are, right? <laughs> you have the pretense of religion. But that doesn't make a difference. The difference is that the boy's father had faith, but he was also willing to be honest that in the same moment, he was questioning if Jesus could really do it. He came with his full self and was honest with God. And what I think what hurts us as Christians more than anything else is that we act like we have to have it all together and then we wonder why nothing changes. Rather than coming honestly to God, rather than saying, God, you know, I, I believe somewhere deep down in my heart, I believe, but I'm gonna be real with you at the same time, I have some doubts and I have some questions and I really don't know if I can trust you. I really don't know if I can depend on you. Or I've tried over and over and over again and it hasn't worked out. Lord, I believe, but I need you to help my unbelief. An example of my own life. In my junior year of college, uh, my college had an awesome campus ministry, much like Chi Alpha. And we had a, we did a spring revival, uh, and it was, it was really fun. Uh, and it was a Friday night, uh, and we had an amazing time of worship. We had a guest preacher, 
everyone was crying, everyone was at the altar hugging it out, everyone was like, oh God, you're so amazing, and at the end of service, someone came running into the, the chapel and said, there's a fire in one of the dorms. So a bunch of us ran out, wondering like what we could do to help. Turns out there wasn't a fire in the dorm, it turns out that just a couple feet away from us, where from where I'm standing to where the door is there, there was a car accident. Three students had been drinking, and they hit a tree. We couldn't do anything to get them out of the car. The fire was too hot. I can, to this day, I can still hear them screaming from the car when I think about it. I had just left church. I had just left praise and worship. I had just had this incredible religious experience, and then right after worship ends, I'm hit with death. That very night, one of my classmates died, and we watched him die. There was nothing we could do. And that night, I was called upon by the university administration, because it was, we were a smaller campus, about 1,000 people. And we all gathered in the campus church, and they said, Brandon, you have to pray before we announce to the campus that such and such died. Lord, I believe. I just left worship. But right now, I have some serious doubts and questions about you. How could you allow this to happen? How could you literally allow us to encounter death right after we leave worship? How could you allow a classmate of mine to die? And I wrestled with that for a long time. I, I believed, but I had some doubts. Tim Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church, in New York City, leaves this thought about doubt and faith. He says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen to her own doubts which should only be discarded after long reflection. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and their neighbors. So I want to challenge you tonight. I want to challenge you with the fact that you can trust a God who is large enough to handle your doubts. To be able to fully bring all of who you are to God, to be honest with God, not to have some play-play religion, as I like to call it, but a relationship with God that is honest, that brings all of who you are to God, that says, God, I, I believe, but I have some questions. I believe, but I don't understand why this is happening. I believe, but I'm struggling in that belief. And you notice what Jesus responds to. He responds to the faith of the one who comes honestly to him. And not only is Jesus large enough to handle those doubts, you see what he's able to do. He's able to cast out the demon. He's able to handle whatever occurs in your life. He's able to handle the questions that you might have. Q&A, what are your thoughts? So, how do we know that the demon in the story is really a disease, epilepsy, and not 
That's a great question. Um, I think one of the things that we have to be careful with, right, is that there's has, there has to be a balance of our belief and the demonic, right, that there are real forces of evil in this world, uh, and also our belief and understanding of medicine, right, and that they go hand in hand. Um, so I honestly, in my own studying and understanding, have come to believe that it's a both and, right, uh, that epilepsy was uh, probably the cause of it, and they didn't understand, but at the same time, uh, it was used in a way that could become evil or demonic against the child. Uh, but that is my own understanding and studying from the text in this book. How long can we doubt, or to what extreme can we doubt before we start to be bad Christians? I don't know if we ever fully stop doubting. I think there's a way where it becomes unhealthy, right? That it gets in the way of our faith, it gets in the way of trusting God, and it gets in the way of us being open to how the Holy Spirit wants to move. But I also think that at every stage of life, what those doubts look like might become different. What you're doubting and questioning God about in college is not what you're going to be questioning God about when you're 35, or 40, or 50, or 60. Um, but I think the challenge is, is how are you allowing yourself to surrender those doubts to God? I don't know if that makes sense. But... Okay. Two more questions. Yeah. So, where do we take doubt? How do I pray to a God that I might not see, feel, or hear anymore? That's a great question. One of the, I think, gifts of prayer, and that's what Jesus ends with, is that we, he, he responds to the disciples, the reasons why you weren't able to cast out the demon is because you didn't fast and you didn't pray. And it's possible to pray even when you are doubting. Because prayer is not uh, a long laundry list of what we're thinking. It's a conversation with God. I, When I'm praying, I'm being honest with God. I, this is me, maybe because I lived in the South for a while. I'm like, listen, God. Uh, it's me and you, and I'm going to tell you how I feel right now. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, like, this is messed up. Uh, there have been times in my life where I have shaken my fist in the air at God. I'm like, God, all the churchy stuff that I was taught says that I shouldn't do this. But I also believe that you're large enough to handle my anger, and my frustration, and my worries. And one of the gifts of prayer is that there are moments in our lives where... The words that I'm saying might not make any sense, but I believe eventually, somehow, some way, I will, like a toddler trying to figure out how to walk, I'm going to figure out the way to walk again. I'm going to figure out that way back into relationship with you. So in that, that season where I was doubting after the accident, I didn't stop going to worship. I didn't stop praying. Actually, I prayed more intensely, and my prayers became more honest because I felt I had these questions, but somewhere, again, it's that... I believe, but help my unbelief. Somewhere, I believe you're large enough to handle this. And this is the last question. Yeah. Jesus tells us to pray and fast. What do you think the role of fasting is in all of this? Fasting, I think, is a important way for us to gain clarity from God. That fasting and prayer go together. And I think fasting helps us, especially in seasons of doubt, be able to decipher all the voices that we hear around us, right? We'll hear a bunch of different opinions. 
Uh, we'll hear things in class. We'll hear things from our friends. We'll hear things uh, from parents. But the question is, how am I opening myself up to be able to hear what God wants to say to me in response to what I'm saying to God? And fasting with prayer is an important way of discerning what God is trying to say. Uh, and so I think it's important for us. Perfect example of my own life, right? Right now, uh, I'm getting married this summer. Uh, my fiance and I uh, have some major decisions that we have to make. Uh, and with that, there are all kinds of doubts and questions. But for us, we literally yesterday spent an hour in prayer. And at, at that end of prayer, we're like, we have to fast. We've told God how we feel. We've, we've told God, and we've had a conversation. We have these doubts, and now it's time. By fasting, we'll be able to create the space in our lives to gain clarity, to hear what God wants to say to us. And so I think that's how we're, we're able to put those two together. Thank you. Let us pray. We thank you, God, that you are large enough to handle all of who we are. You are big enough to handle our doubts and our belief, our dreams and our failures. So God, as we get ready to worship you, I just ask, Father, that you would speak into the life of someone who's here today. That where there is doubt, that you will increase their faith. Where there is anxiety, that you will be their peace. Where there is concern, that you will be present with them. And that together, God, we will come to know you more and more and more and know that you are a good father, that you are concerned about us, your children. We ask this in Jesus' name.